Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Darkcast Network, where the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 151, Bienvenidos Bitches and Buiti Binafi, and thank you all so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, able-bodied white dudes. What? There. I'm telling you, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. <laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It's not our fault. <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or scientists psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime also the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode also our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use fruitloopspod for all our social media the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a fruit loops patron yeah uh you can also support us by supporting our sponsors yeah check those out at our website as well right so oh 
are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Kemi Adeula, a young English woman of African descent who killed an elderly woman and wrote a quote-unquote murder manual. Wow. <laughs> That's a new one for me. Yeah. And so she's not actually a serial killer, but might have been had she not been caught. And mm. this subject was suggested to us by Bethany Hawkins and researched and written by Minnie Williams. Ah, yes. Yeah. Well, hip-hop air horns. To Bethany and to Minnie. Yeah. Um, but before we get into it, how you doing? Well, I had a kind of a shitty week, but... Uh, oh, mm, no. You know. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, you know. Some, yeah. some weeks are like that. You know what? I was um, thinking about you... The- yesterday you were and I, yeah as i was um i was doing something and i was like oh, i gotta text her to remind you to take a day just to take a day off yeah <laughs> take a vacation day i wanted to text it to you but i forgot yeah i actually so, have a, a couple of scheduled vacation days for doing nothing so good yeah good good take all of them take all I of need, the time i need them yeah yes Yes, girl. And you deserve them. Well, thank so, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for being honest with us about, you know, what's really going on. Yeah. Um, well, uh, me, I'm in Atlanta uh-huh. uh, and everybody calls it Hotlanta. Right. But to that, I say Hotlanta my ass because <laughs> it has been so fucking cold here. It snowed the other day. And yeah, you texted we, me a, a photo of yourself in the office and you're all like bundled up in like, oh I don't know, God. 14 layers and scarves it's and true. hats. Uh, I can't seem to <laughs> get warm or stay warm. Today was a nice day, but I, um, you know, we went to the, it was maybe 70, but I just, my bones have not warmed up to oh, Phoenix geez. levels. Yeah, of course. And not. so I, I, I've been wearing like a coat and a beanie everywhere, even though it may not be totally warranted. I'm, I have to, my body has not caught up and it just, it, can it be hot yet? Please. It, it will please. be. And then you'll be like, it's so fucking hot. <laughs> I, I've never uttered such a phrase in my entire life. Have I ever been like, Oh, it's so hot. I can't 37 years. Never. Not a once. <laughs> even in, even in Phoenix, That's like crazy. You, well, people blast the AC when it's, you know, really, yeah, really cold true. and it gets up, gets really cold indoors. And the only way to save myself, stay alive is to go outside, go outside and, and warm out. up a little bit. Yeah. 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 We have this running joke that old Whitey's trying to kill me. That's why he keeps the house so cold. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, just uh, waiting for the weather to get warm. Yeah. Um, but that's it for that. Let's get into some listener letters. All right. Thank you, angels. Mm-hmm. Ah, what's in the bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Two Fix to Care for your case suggestion. We won't oh. say what it is, just that it's now on the list. Okay, hip hop air horns. <laughs> And we got a comment from Anne who said, just wanted to say you should please, please, please put what you said in your latest podcast on a T-shirt regarding (laughs) USA racist past and present. And uh, the quote Mm -hmm. was, if you look in the mirror and your lipstick is smudged, fix it. Don't just close the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Merch alert. Yes, I love that idea. And uh, Sarita, a.k.a. the Melanated Alchemist, is working on a 
candle specifically for the pod. Mm, we are so excited. Yeah, she's a black candle maker. And she also makes body butters, melts, CBD candles, and room sprays. You can mm. find her on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at The Melanated Alchemist. And her website is themelanatedalchemist.com. That's right. She's also one of our Patreon supporters. So yeah. um, we are grateful for her in so many ways. Yes. Um, but shout out to our sis, The Melanated Alchemist. Yeah. What else we got? Well, and we also got a voicemail from Stacy. Oh. So I'm going to play it. Okay. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Beth. And now many. My once was two, but now three favorite podcasts of Fruit Loops. I listened to your Fruit Loops podcast, binged it in about three to four months, and now it's gotten to anticipation for Thursday. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I know that Wendy has just moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and was thinking about going to some soul food cafes. Um, three that I know of is one is the Peach Cobbler Cafe, Hattie Marie, and also the Busy Bee Cafe. Three restaurants I know you'll enjoy. Um, I've lived here for 25 years. I am grateful to your podcast because prior to living in Atlanta, I lived in the Bay Area, Berkeley to be exact, and I knew nothing of my history, Black history, until I moved here. And I've gotten a huge enlightenment on history as it goes for BIPOC people and also with your podcast has greatly, greatly enlightened me more. Not only that, but when you tell your stories, the regions, the countries, the cities that uh, these crimes have happened in, you give the history. I love the history. Once again, my favorite podcast, Fruit Loops. Welcome to Atlanta. Hope you love it as much as I do. My name is Stacey. Have a great, wonderful day. My three new podcasts. Wendy, Beth, and Minnie. That is so sweet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I jotted down those um, uh, restaurant names. Uh, so they they are on the list. Yeah, and check them out. I, I, so when I come yes. visit, we can go to the best one. <laughs> you betcha. And we have Stacy to thank. So Hip Hop yeah. Airborne's for Stacy. <laughs> um, so I started, uh, we, we are recording a little bit different day of the week than we normally would. And this when we would have recorded on Monday, we didn't have any Patreons. But then, uh, we God got one, doesn't huh? always come when you want to, <laughs> but he's always on time. And we got a new Patreon named Kirsten P. All right. So here is your tune, Miss Kirsten. Murder is just another word for nothing left of news. <laughs> nothing but nothing, honey, if it ain't free. <laughs> and feeling good was easy, Lord, when we sang the blues. You know, feeling good was good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Good enough for me and my kiss didn't appear. <laughs> That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So we are going to take a little break and get into the story when we come back. This 
podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time <laughs> to fess up. It's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? Heard of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, we are back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about Kemi Adeola, a teenage murder manual writer and <laughs> murderer. Yes, and murderer. <laughs> Woo! Uh, so now we're going to get into some stats. <laughs> So um, Kemi Adeyula uh, only had one victim, and that was Anne Mendel, who was an 84-year-old white woman of the Jewish faith. And I just made up this AKA, uh, AKA Shitty McManuel um, for reasons we'll get into in the story. I mean, poop comes up quite a bit in this story. Which isn't normal for true crime. Yeah. So unless you're listening to that ridiculous true crime podcast I shouted yeah. out last week. Um, Did you see what uh, Seth posted in the Facebook group? <laughs> no, I didn't. Facebook was acting really weird for me today. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it was uh, from uh, How Not to Get Murdered. Uh -huh. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. Uh -huh. And then uh, don't poop on a plane with a <laughs> diplomat. <laughs> diplomat on it. <laughs> that was the, the How Not to oh, Get Murdered. <laughs> I love it. I yeah, love thank it. You. <laughs> oh, man, we got the best fans in the world. We Hip hop do. air horns to our fans listening right now. <laughs> Um, so 
now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is England in the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom, or the UK, is made up of England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Great Britain is the official collective name of England, Scotland, and Wales, and their associated islands. It does not include Northern Ireland, and therefore should not be used interchangeably with the United Kingdom. Whoa, that's a white culture corner yeah, for all there of you us. Go. I had no idea. Wow, okay, thank you. <laughs> but in any case, the, these areas have been continuously inhabited since about 8,000 years ago after the glaciers that used to cover the area melted. The history of the various peoples who have lived on these islands is complex, and sometimes it's hotly debated. Too complex to cover on a brief blurb yeah. of a podcast. Yeah, but we're going to do the best we can. <laughs> we can, and you can always go to our sources or look it up yourself. Yeah, yeah, Google there you is go. free. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, control of the region has changed hands many times. The Romans, the Anglo-Saxons, who were Germanic inhabitants of England, and the Vikings all tried their hands at ruling the area. England has a generally high population density with almost 80% of the population of the islands. Elsewhere in Great Britain and Ireland, high density of populations is limited to the areas around just a few large cities. The largest urban area by far is the greater London town urban area with <laughs> 9 million inhabitants. <laughs> Hello, governor. <laughs> It was by the 11th century that London became the largest town in England. The area was ruled by a succession of various monarchs continuing into modern times. It retains boundaries close to its medieval ones. Since the 19th century, London Town has also <laughs> referred to the metropolis around its core, historically split between the counties of Middlesex, Essex, Surrey, Kent, and Hertfordshire, which largely comprises Greater London, governed by the Greater London Authority, the city of Westminster, the dog show, to the west of the city of London, has for centuries held the national government and parliament. London, as one of the world's global cities, exerts strong influence on its arts, commerce, education, entertainment, fashion, finance, healthcare, media, tourism, and communications. It mm. is also the biggest urban economy in Europe, and it wow. is one of the major financial centers in the world. Wow, we see you, London. Yeah. Uh, so London's diverse cultures mean that over 300 languages are spoken. Wow. Yeah, amazing. The mid 2018 population of Greater London of about 9 million made it Europe's third most populous city, and it accounts for about 13% of the UK population. The presence of Africans in England dates back to at least the Roman period, when African soldiers who served as part of the Roman army were stationed at Hadrian's Wall during the 2nd century AD. Septimus Severus, who sounds like he should be in the Harry Potter book... <laughs> <laughs> Agree. But he was an emperor who was born in Libya, spent his last three years in Britain before he died in York in 211 AD. Hmm. The earliest known record of a black person living in London is of Cornelius of Blackamoor, whose burial was recorded in the parish register at St. Margaret's Church in Lee. Due to the proliferation of documentation in the Tudor and Stuart periods, we know that Africans were present in most of the noble courts of this century. For example, Catherine of Aragon's most trusted lady-in-waiting, Catalina de Codornis, was Ethiopian and married to an African bowmaker named Oviedo. African trumpeters served King Henry VII and Henry VIII. 
<laughs> Queen Elizabeth I also employed an African court dancer named Lucy Negro, who later became an infamous madam who ran a brothel in Clerkenwell, Northeast London. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and entrepreneurship and is considered one of the candidates to have been the inspiration of the dark lady of Shakespeare's sonnets. Aside from presence within royal courts, African people were also embedded in all echelons of London society. Reasonable black men sounds very reasonable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was a silk weaver and he lived in Southwark around 1579 to 1592. Seamstress mm. Mary Phyllis, the daughter of a basket weaver from Morocco came to London around 1583 or four. Prince Dideri Jacoa, the son of King Kadabaya, who ruled a kingdom in modern Liberia, was baptized in London on New Year's Day in 1611 and lived hmm. as a merchant. Around the 1750s, London became the home of many Black people, Jewish, Irish people, Germans, and Huguenots. Leading Black abolitionist, abolitionists of the period included Oluwadu Ekianu, Ignatius Sancho, and Kuobna Otoba Kuguana. With the support of other Britons, these activists demanded that the slave trade and slavery be abolished. Supporters involved in this movement included workers and other emigrant nationals of the urban poor. At this time, the slavery of white people was forbidden, of course, hmm. but mm -hmm. the legal statuses of these practices were not clearly defined. Freed black slaves could not be enslaved, but black people who were brought as slaves to Britain were considered the property of their owners. Sounds very confusing. Ah, hmm. uh, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> how about nobody be slaves? Yeah, then there's no that? confusion, yeah. <laughs> During this era, Lord Mansfield declared that a slave who fled from his master could not be taken by force or sold abroad in the case of Somerset versus Stuart. This verdict fueled the numbers of black people that escaped slavery and helped send slavery into decline. Yeah, England ended it a lot sooner than the United States yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> In this same period, many enslaved soldiers who fought on the side of the British in the American Revolutionary War arrived in London. Many of them became poverty-stricken and were reduced to begging on the streets. The Black people in London lived among the white people in areas of Mile End, Stepney, Paddington, like the bear, and St. Giles. <laughs> the majority of these people became domestic servants to wealthy whites. Many became labeled as the Black poor, quote-unquote, defined as former low-wage soldiers, seafarers, and former plantation workers. The slave trade was abolished completely in the British Empire by 1833. As a result, the number of black people in London steadily declined as fewer black people were brought into London from the West Indies and parts of Africa. During the mid-19th century, there were restrictions on foreign immigration. In the later part of the 19th century, there was a buildup of small groups of black dockside communities in towns such as Canning Town, Liverpool, and Cardiff. This was a direct effect of new shipping links that were established with the Caribbean and West Africa. Despite facing social prejudice, some 19th century black people living in England achieved exceptional success. Pablo Funk, born poor as William Darby in Norwich, rose to become the proprietor of one of Britain's most successful circuses during the hmm. Victorian era. He hmm. is immortalized in the lyrics of the Beatles song, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. Oh, huh. okay. No idea. Did not know that. Now, just after the end of World War II, the first groups of post-war Caribbean 
And actually, one of my Caribbean aunts explained that we are Carib, and so the proper way to pronounce it is Caribbean. Caribbean. Not Caribbean. Oh, okay. Not Caribbean. Caribbean. Caribbean queen <laughs> and it's sharing the same name. <laughs> anyway, so the first groups of post-war Caribbean immigrants started to emigrate and settle in London. There were an estimated 492 that were passengers on the HMT Empire Windrush that arrived on Tilbury Docks on June 22, 1948. These passengers settled in the area of Brixton, which is now a prominently Black district in Britain. From the 1950s into the 1960s, there was a mass migration of workers from all over the English-speaking Caribbean. Yep. Cari- mm-hmm. yeah. Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly Jamaica, who settled in the UK. These immigrants mm-hmm. were invited to fill labor requirements in London's hospitals, transportation venues, and railway development. But they were treated like shit. Yeah. Uh, they had a really difficult time. We see you. We see you, England. Uh, <laughs> don't get don't don't think you're getting off scot free on this racism <laughs> charge I've got for you. So there was a continuous influx of African students, sportsmen, and businessmen mixed within British society. They were widely viewed as having been a major contributing factor to the rebuilding of the post-war urban London economy. In 1962, the Commonwealth Immigration Immigrants Act was passed by the government along with a succession of other laws in 1968, 1971, and 1981 that severely restricted the entry of Black Caribbean immigrants into the United Kingdom. In 1975, a new voice emerged for the Black population of London. A member of the House of Lords, his name was David Pitt. He was Mm. Black, and he spoke against racism and for equality in regards to all residents of Britain. Nice. At the 1987 general election, the first ever Black British MPs were elected to the House of Commons. Diane Abbott for Hackney North and Stoke Newington, Bernie Grant for Tottenham and Paul Boateng for Brent South. All were candidates from the Labour Party, and out of these three people, Abbott was the first Black British woman to be elected to the House of Commons. Wow. Okay. Yeah. By the end of the 20th century, an increasing number of Black Londoners were British-born. Even with this growing population and the first Black people elected to the UK Parliament, there is still discrimination and socioeconomic imbalance in London among the Black community. Yep. Uh, According to the Office for National Statistics, based on 2011 census estimates, approximately 60% of the inhabitants of London were white, 26% were of Asian and mixed Asian heritage, 7% were Indians, followed by Pakistanis and Bangladeshis at 3% each, and Arabs for 1%. 16% of London's population were of Black and mixed Black descent. Okay. So now we're going to get into Shitty McManuel, a.k.a. <laughs> Kemi Adeyula's early life. What do you got, Beth? Well, Kemi Adeyula, a Black woman, was born in 1987 in England. Both of her parents are Black from the African diaspora. The yes. marriage of her father, Bola Adeola, who came to London from Nigeria as a child, and Kemi's Barbados-born mother, Mercuria, lasted barely four years. Um... I was going to say, what makes this worse is she's a millennial. 
<laughs> These so damn millennials. The, yeah, those damn millennials. So the the back to Kimmy. The couple produced three children, and Mercurio had a fourth child from another relationship as well. So Kemi has three siblings. Kemi lived with her mother and siblings in the East Midlands and the Southwest for a time. Her father was a property manager and former boxer who is worth an estimated 10 million pounds, which is equal to approximately 14 million American dollars in 2006. That's more than I got. Yeah, that's more than than I got. (laughs) (laughs) He had little contact with his children during their upbringing. He said he lost contact with Kemi when she was 11. After that, he Mm. said, he passed money and messages to her through her grandparents. Despite suggestions that Mercurio received an alleged four million pound or six million U.S. dollar divorce settlement, she and her children seemed to lead a life without purpose or direction, moving to a succession of homes and places including Cheltenham and Peterborough, frequently alienating neighbors and sometimes being evicted for non-payment of rent. At one property in Gloucestershire, Kemi reportedly killed the goldfish in a neighbor's pond and blamed the cat. Wow. Serial killer sign. Check that box on your bingo card. Kemi was briefly boarded at Wycliffe College for 23,000 pounds a year, uh, approximately 32,000 U.S. The independent school at Stonehouse in the Cotswolds prides itself on academic and sporting achievements, but Kemi only lasted a few months because of a dispute over who was paying her fees. Her mother Mm. apparently no longer had the money to foot the bill, and her father refused to pay. But her teachers described her as disruptive, so the school was probably glad to see the back of her anyway. (laughs) Oh, well, that's a term that they often label black girls as as disruptive disruptive. when they are they are not really being disruptive. They are maybe being bothered and they're sticking up for themselves or anything that they do because it's coming out of a black body. Right. To the white um, establishment might appear to be disruptive. So I don't know if I buy that. But anyway, in February 2002, Kemi moved with her mother and sisters to the neighborhood of Elmcroft Crescent in Golders Green, a borough of London located in the northwest of the city, is a smaller suburban area in Greater London near a farm and public grazing green of medieval origins. It is known for its large Jewish population as well as for being home to the largest Jewish kosher hub in the UK, which attracts many Jewish tourists. In Golders Green, Kemi and her family lived next door to an older married couple, Leonard and Anne Mandel. One day when Kemi had accidentally been locked out of her house, Anne let the teenager into the Mandels' home to wait until someone came home. Just the utmost kind, that's a really kind gesture yeah. to let a kid you don't know into just your house. kind of wait for their parents. Yeah. yeah. And, um, my understanding is the Mendels are white, yes, right? Yes. White and Jewish. Yep. And so for them to not be like, ooh, no, a black person in my, in house, my house, but to just yeah. let let treat her like a human being, you know, that was that was really kind. And yeah. it's a shame yeah. what happens what next. Happens later. So yeah. Anne must have had a very kind heart because other neighbors in Golders Green have said that Kemi subjected the neighborhood to quote unquote reign of terror and racial harassment, abusing young children and smearing excrement on windows. Whoa. What? <laughs> what? What? Where did she get it from? Her uh, herself? Her, butt? her own butt? I don't know. <laughs> Just, God, there's so much poop in my life lately. And this story is no, that's just Just adding more. Why? She was even arrested for abusing one Asian neighbor. And I wanted to say, um, 
people might be like, how could a black person be responsible for racial terror? But sometimes, welcome to Culture Corner, sometimes white supremacy function and succeeds by pitting communities of color against each other. Right. This sounds like it was um, a, a young girl <laughs> was just a menace. Yeah. But black, black versus Asian, immigrant versus other immigrant communities, those are weapons of white supremacy. So. Gotcha. A resident who did not want to be identified said that Kemi focused a lot of negative attention on one particular family. Once she lay in wait behind a bush for an East Asian man and then punched him in the face, breaking his nose. Yeah. And she called his wife a Paki lover. Uh, Paki is a derogatory term used in the UK for a person of Pakistani descent. Wow. And uh, it was said that she tried to poison his dog as well. (gasps) Wow. Yeah. Well, we've said this before. Um, being a BIPOC person doesn't absolve you of racism. I think any we, anybody is capable of, of racism. Being yeah. of racism. But um, the thing is that when we're talking about true racism, like the, who has the power to hurt somebody else is usually not a BIPOC person. Yeah, um, usually not. Yeah, Usually not. Um, but this is just it's so fucked this up. I don't even have yeah. words. Uh, so another neighbor said that Kemi was a quote terrible menace unquote and would walk around nude shouting and swearing at anyone who (laughs) dared to try to stop her whoa the neighbor also said that the family would play music and scream at all hours well I mean is if it's lit it's lit right but the walking around nude come on Other neighbors recall that her father sometimes turned up in his Rolls Royce to see the children. (gasps) Wow. But the visits were brief and infrequent. And the family moved away from Golders Green in July of 2003 after 17 months. Wow. You know what is also interesting is how much the neighbors know about these other people. (laughs) There's a meme you showed me once. Black people will never be lonely because white people are always (laughs) up in their business. And I was just thinking, I don't know any other of my neighbors and I don't need to and I'm not at, like looking through my windows no, like if I the police care. came I don't care what other people are doing they're, they're minding their business I'm minding mine I don't give minding a shit minding your business is free <laughs> yeah. but these neighbors it doesn't seem like they did that well anyway, it sounds like uh, there was some some fucked up bullshit going on you know on. what that's true yeah. that's true you're right you're right I take that back I take I stand corrected <laughs> Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play.
Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. So now we're going to get into the timeline, and Minnie has some um, something juicy to tell yes. us. So let me begin with, I fucking hate this bitch. <laughs> she is shitty Bellamy level shitty. Sorry, not sorry. Sign Minnie. And Minnie, <laughs> we agree. <laughs> uh, so Adeyula didn't seem interested in school, and by the age of 15, had fallen into criminal habits. Um, shoplifting various items from stores, or paying for one and stealing two, then bringing them back later for a cash refund <laughs> she later bragged about it saying quote it's a skill unquote Woo. uh i'm not seeing that on linkedin she said that she was an expert at altering receipts to get refunds for stolen goods speaking with an upper class accent that she learned at school 
I guess maybe mm. she was paying attention in school after all. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> she also boasted to a sibling about her acting talents. Acting as what? <laughs> Trouble? <laughs> uh, so she described how when being questioned by a youth worker, she'd wept, mumbled, and arched her back to convince the woman of her innocence and vulnerability to try to limit her sentence. Uh, she wrote in her journal, quote, it worked such a treat. I could tell she was touched. I felt she sensed my anguish, unquote. And to that I say, no, bitch, we see you and not in a good way. And I will, I will also say that I remember being a child and seeing young white girls get hurt or get into trouble. Right. And they would cry and then they would get out, out of, of it. it. Yeah. So my black ass, when I tried it, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody helped me. I remained injured and in trouble. So hats off to you, Kemi, at least on that one. At least one. you tried. At least you tried. But after a string of convictions, she found herself facing jail time rather than just community service. She ended up with a three-month sentence at Bullwood Hall Young Offenders Institute in Essex, a county in southeast England between London and the North Sea. Bullwood Hall was built in the 1960s, originally as a female youth detention center. Over time, the prison also began to hold female adult prisoners. In 2002, Bullwood Hall was featured in a series of six 30-minute documentaries titled The Real bad girls. Mm. Although the series portrayed the prison in a positive light, a 2005 report condemned Bullwood Hall for still using the practice of slopping out, which is uh, <laughs> gross. Oh, <getting> more poop. <laughs> yeah. Manually emptying human waste from prison cells um, that are unlocked in the morning. <laughs> gross. Wow. It had been built without flushing toilets in the cells. A year later, oh. the prison was singled out for its high levels of attempted suicides and self-harm among the inmates. And uh, that's horrible. Those conditions sound entirely inhumane. Yes. Um, do better. Yes. So uh, Bullwood Hall continued to serve as a women's prison until 2006 when it was announced it would be converted into a Category C male prison. They were still going to use this place? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No toilets? <laughs> Due to a shortage of male prisons. It has since been shut down. Well, well that's good thank news. God. Anyway. Yeah. In any case, it was there at Bullwood Hall that Kimmy's thoughts turned to murder. Living in a fantasy world, she imagined murder would be the answer to all of her troubles, of course. Interesting train of thought. <laughs> and during a routine cell search in October of 2004, staff found an 18-page handwritten document, which was later referred to as a, quote, blueprint for murder, unquote. Oh, it's okay. been reported that the document was titled either prison and after making life count or alternatively prison and after making life again. And I don't know which one it is, but one of those. Well, uh, <laughs> that's just a murder manual. A murder way, manual. <laughs> it included a shopping list of knives, guns, drugs, and handcuffs, and plans to kill, dismember, and dispose of a victim. Her goal was to get her hands on 3 million pounds, that's about 4.2 million U.S. dollars. She imagined stalking an elderly woman in a wealthy area, possibly posing as a schoolgirl, conducting a survey for homework. She wrote, quote, 
run lightly and silently behind her and cover her mouth with a gloved hand. Make her so scared she cooperates. Keep calm, composed, and silent. She must cooperate or take a knife to her throat. Tell her, this is your only warning. Unquote. Mm. Oh, Adeula, you creepy fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When confronted by prison staff, Adeola insisted her notes were part of a draft for a novel. I mean... It couldn't couldn't it, I think that's a fair argument because I was just gonna say is anybody is anybody interrogating Stephen King for the yeah. fucked up shit? <laughs> I don't think it sounded like a novel though. Yeah, it really does sound no. like a list of <laughs> yeah, plans, a to do list. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so a psychiatric assessment of her at the time described her as quote a highly intelligent and sophisticated young person who, with good support, should make a good recovery and engage in her A level studies unquote an A level are like advanced placement courses, AP courses taken in the UA to get it, or, or in the UK to get into university. Right. Um, but it went on further to say that there was no indication that Adiula quote would be predisposed in any way to this type of violence, nor was there any evidence of this type of violence in her past, unquote. Despite the discovery of the blueprint for murder, psychologists at Bullwood Hall had held high hopes for Adeula on her release, describing her as an articulate, intelligent, and sophisticated girl. A prison psychiatrist who believed Adeula's lies that she had achieved four GCSEA grades said it was a shame that she had been jailed. Adeula was released a month after her murder manual was found in November 2004. She then moved into a Hampstead flat with another teenager, reportedly her younger sister, Chardet. She later claimed that she paid the rent by working as a 500-pound or $700 escort. Uh, she claimed, quote, it is completely legitimate and professional business. We earned up to 5,000 pounds or $7,000 a week, unquote. But Okay. <laughs> I mean, sex work is legitimate work. Yes, yes. Right? It's a vo- it is a job. It, it is. is a vocation. It is. Um I don't think many think she was uh being an escort. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Got you. Her father later said, quote, That's all rubbish. Five thousand? No one would give five P for them, unquote. Wow. So the, <laughs> this is his his two daughters he's talking about. Okay. Yeah. What's 5p? 5 pence. It's like oh! 5 cents, you know? Wow. Yeah. That is that's terrible. I know. And that's his father saying that's, that oh, about his man. daughters. Yeah. Okay. He said that following his daughter's release from Bullwood Hall Prison, he had set her up in a flat and given her a £140 or $200 a week job and advised her to go straight. After three months, he wanted the two girls to start paying the rent. The teenagers reacted badly, just abandoning the flat and as a further affront, they vandalized his office. Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> wow, that is. Whew. So a council monitoring team that had been set up to supervise her for three months after her release decided that Adiula did not pose a risk and she was released from supervision. A month after her supervision expired, now living in Camden, North London, she decided it was go time. <laughs> and in March of 2005, Adiula turned her novel into a reality. On the morning of March 14th, 2005, Leonard Mandel, a retired postal worker, 
was getting ready to go out to purchase airline tickets to travel to Israel. His wife, Anne, had finally decided on the trip so that they could go see their daughter and their daughter's husband. Anne hadn't been feeling well that morning, though, so Leonard went on his own to get the tickets at about 9.45 a.m. while Anne stayed home in her pajamas. Can't you, couldn't you buy plane tickets online well, in these 2005? Were, these were older people. He probably yeah. didn't feel comfortable doing that. Understood. Thanks, OG. So in the hour that it took 81-year-old Leonard Mendel to pick up the tickets for the trip, Adiula entered the home of the elderly Jewish couple, cut the hall phone wires, then attacked Ann Mendel, inflicting deep wounds to Ann Mendel's torso, right arm, and back with a blade at least one inch wide and five inches long. Adiula was 17 years old when she stabbed 84-year-old Ann 14 times wow. at her home in Golders Green, Northwest London. Leonard came home to find Anne in the hallway, lying under a pile of clothes, unresponsive. He tried to give her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, not realizing yet that she'd been stabbed. He had not yet noticed that the hall phone wires had been cut and that blood was on the walls, as he was mm. so focused on the sight of his wife, appearing to him to be simply unconscious, as mm. the clothing covering her body hid her blood-soaked pajamas and pink dressing gown. He tried to call emergency services from the hall, but found the phone was not working. So he went to the kitchen to call from there instead. It only took minutes for paramedics to arrive, but Anne had already died from the 14 stab wounds in her chest and back. Seemingly, the only reason that Adayula had selected Anne as her first target was that they had shared a brief spell as neighbors in a North London suburb. As you recall, Anne was the one who had let Adayula into her house when she'd locked herself out at that time a couple of years before. Yeah, you showed she showed her kindness, and this is this is what, this is how you repay she, yeah, her. Yeah, great, uh, gray-haired great-grandmother Anne, ninety-eight pounds and barely four foot ten inches tall, had, had devoted her life to her family, charity, and community. Despite her eighty-four years and increasing frailty, she would, according to friends, quote, travel miles to help people. Unquote. The elderly couple had been married for fifty years and lived a quiet life. They had two children, fourteen grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Wow, mm-hmm. there's. Son Yitzhak, appealing for help after the murder, said, quote, My mother spent every day of her week performing good deeds and charity work. She devoted her whole life to visiting the sick, helping friends and neighbors, and bringing a smile to everyone she knew, even complete strangers, unquote. Mm. In early years, Anne had worked as a hospital secretary and joined the army during the Second World War to help track German bombers blitzing the east end of London where the couple lived. Her death was a great loss to her family and her community. Leonard later said that he remembered the Adayula family living next door to them in Golders Green sometime back, and that just prior to Anne's murder, he had suspected that someone had been sneaking into their house. One Mm. time he'd found Anne's clothes scattered all over the floor in the bedroom, but he hadn't called the police because he wasn't sure what to say. That would definitely be an odd thing to report. Right. And uh, would the police respond, especially with an older couple? Would they just dismiss it as some sort of Alzheimer's or dementia thing? Yeah. Um, What do you, I mean, what do you think you would do if you came home and found your clothes scattered on the floor? Would you call the police (laughs) or would you, Minnie says, or would you run high pitched shrieking through the streets, waving your hands in the air like she would do? Uh, (laughs) Minnie says, 
Would I do that? You know, I don't know for sure. I have another funny story for you. So um, you know how in cartoons and shows, if there's a mouse, people are always shown to be jumping on chairs and shrieking out of fear of that mouse. And she always thought that was ridiculous. These people are exaggerating. Who would actually do that? And so Minnie says, let me tell you, a mouse got into our house one time and I did not know what the F to do. As I was trying to figure out what to do, the mouse actually started turning toward me. And wouldn't you know it? I shrieked like a little girl and jumped up on the closest <laughs> thing to me, which happened to be a toilet lid closed, of course. I continued to shriek and jump. What the actual fuck? What kind of an adaptation is that? The thing is tiny. But all I can say is I had a gut fear of it running up my pants leg and biting me, LOL. So moral of the story is you think you know what you might do, but you don't really. Yeah. Uh, and then Beth, she says, do you want to tell the story of the time that you thought a murderer had come into your house, but it turned out it was actually your mom? Remember? Yeah. So Minnie and I were watching TV um, at home. Our parents had gone out to dinner. And Mm -hmm. uh, we heard somebody come in the house and go upstairs. And we freaked out. We were like, what what the fuck is that? So (laughs) instead of going to see who it was, we grabbed a knife and ran out the (gasps) back door. (laughs) We ran to a neighbor's house and we were like, oh, my God, somebody's in our house. And so are you serious? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So the neighbor was like, oh, let me check it out. I'm like, oh, maybe we should call the police. And he's like, oh, I'll just go check it out. And so he went upstairs and it was my mom. She had to go to the bathroom really bad. And my dad had dropped her off and gone to the store. That's what was freaking us out. It's like if it was had oh, been our they, parents, both of them. if yeah. it, it had been both of them, then, uh, you know, we probably would have known. But it was just somebody came in the house and went up the stairs. Wow. Oh, my God. I love that story. So, By the way, yeah. was this before or after you read Helter Skelter? Uh, probably after. Yeah. OK. Makes, makes, <laughs> makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Makes sense why you were on alert. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth. Adeola's DNA was found on Anne's hand. And two months after Anne's murder, police had enough evidence to arrest Adeola for the crime. Adeola tried to explain that the DNA had been found by saying she had, by chance, just by chance, Help the uh-huh. elderly woman across the road earlier that day because she's so nice. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. This <laughs> man, she is a real piece of work. With assistance of her sister, 16-year-old Shade Adeyula, she then tried to construct an alibi. Adeyula said that on the morning that Anne Mendel was murdered, she was in West London trying to get back a purse she'd left on a bus. She tried to get Shade to get a false receipt and be a witness because, quote, I didn't think it was right I should spend spend 25 years of my life in prison for something I didn't do, unquote. Okay. okay. Oh, oh, all right. Uh, she's, she's really sticking to <laughs> yeah, this she is. story. So police believe that Anne's murder may have been a dry run for a wealthier target and that more victims may have been in the pipeline. Detective Sergeant Paul Belsham said, quote, if she had got away with this, then God knows what she might have done. She is very, very dangerous, unquote. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the trials. Trial time. What do you got, Beth? Well, not surprisingly, Adeula pleaded not guilty to the charge of murder. Murder. During her trial in June of 2006, Adeula, who was 18 by this time, reportedly appeared unmoved by the gravity of her crime. 
dressed in a pinstripe suit, pink trainers, and a spangly belt. (laughs) Wow. She smiled and exchanged text messages during court recesses. So she was in court, uh, as we might say, giving Luke's, uh, but uh, not the place to be (laughs) giving. You know what I'm saying? So her murder blueprint was presented as evidence at the trial. The prosecution said Adiula had chosen Mrs. Mendel as a soft target on which to practice before finding a rich, elderly, and defenseless woman to kill for money. The document began innocently with plans to lose weight, find an apartment, establish bank accounts, make money to furnish her apartment, buy a Mercedes, of course. Of course. Clothes and (laughs) DVDs. Adeula wanted to obtain a fake GCSE, similar to a high school diploma in the U.S., and A-level qualifications over the internet, and mock up a CV stating that she had attended the Chelmsford School for Girls. And then do what? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) And then go kill people. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) But her... uh, You know, you you have to go to the Chelmsford School for Girls to uh, become a serial killer. (laughs) I guess. You know what it reminds me of, though? Even though this is real life and Parasite is a movie, right? But that young man who faked, oh yeah, these qualifications yeah. to gain access yeah. to these really wealthy people, yeah. Um, but her primary requirement for a quote happy future unquote was getting her hands on at least three million pounds. Mm-mm, me too. For this, she would need to rob and murder an elderly woman and frame the woman's husband for the killing. This would require equipment. Listed were. Petrol canisters, plastic bags, cling film, semi-automatic guns, taser stun guns, a bulletproof vest, and various disguises, wigs, dark glasses, and a full-body fat suit. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Where do you even get with those? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> ah, she also described her ideal victim. Quote, she must be wealthy, quite elderly, and defenseless. Find a candidate and watch her. Their routine Mm. must be closely observed. Follow her. She will probably be married. See if they get any visitors. Create a survey questionnaire and visit them disguised as an A-level student. Tell them it's field work. Ask them, do you have guns to protect yourself? Unquote. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Uh, So she She imagined... She really has thought of everything. She imagined the attack as well, quote, lie in wait for the victim, creep up on her and cover her mouth with a gloved hand. Once in the house, threaten the victim with a knife, extract bank account details and the code to her safe. Get her to write a fake I'm leaving note and then dispatch her, unquote. Man, she is a serious piece of work. (laughs) Wow. She also thought of how to dispose of the body. Quote, with your butcher's knife, remove her head. Wrap it in film to contain bleeding. Detach limbs one by one. Mm. When you have completed the task, put head and body pieces in black bag. Unquote. Mm. Mm. An alternative plan was to drive the victim to the top of a cliff, slit her throat, set fire to the car, and send it over the edge. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot, man. That is a lot of work. There's so many other things you can do to yeah, get, get money. money. Yeah. <laughs> the job was to be done by February 2005. Good Lord, hmm. is anyone else tired of listening to this bitch? <laughs> As Ariana Grande yeah. might say, shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. Uh, zip it. 
so during testimony, it was described how Adeyula had been questioned by prison authorities who were concerned after finding her notes in her cell at Bullward Hall in October 2004. Forensic psychologist Lydia Sear said, quote, there was concern what was behind it. She would not explain herself. She was defensive, arrogant and assertive. She was asked, is this something you're going to do? She said, I want it back. It's a story. I asked whether she had considered what the intention was before writing the book. She refused to answer, and she left the room, unquote. A psychiatric report carried out after the discovery of the document said there was nothing to suggest she was capable of such violence. A spokesman for Barnett Youth Offending Team said, quote, The psychiatric report did not predict any likely occurrence of this. Once her supervision was completed, there was no mechanism for stopping her reoffending, unquote. That is a shame. Um, during her testimony, Ariola said that she had set up house with another girl in Belsize Park, North London, and worked as an escort to pay the rent. Quote, all we had to do was go out on a date and we could make 500 pounds, $700 a night. We could make up to 5,000 pounds or $700 a week. It was safe because we shadowed each other and it was easy, unquote. Police described finding a cache of sex toys when Adeula's flat was raided after she was arrested. Quote, there were several vibrators, nipple clamps, lesbian pornographic magazines, edible underwear made of candy, revealing outfits, handcuffs, all sorts of equipment, unquote. Police also discovered piles of stolen designer clothes and a book entitled Great Crimes. Oh, the um the the fact that the police found all this this um all these sex toys and stuff. Yeah. Um it's just another element of stories about black women or women of yeah, color and how who commit crimes. You got to add the sex. Yeah. Element. Yeah. The, 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 they're sex crazy. That's, that's what I thought. Like, why are they even talking about this? You know? Yeah. It has yeah. nothing to do with the crime. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cool. You do you. Uh, no kink mm-hmm. shaming here. But mm-hmm. I seriously do not believe you about the whole paid escort thing, girl. You are made up of lies, 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 period. Yeah. You are a yeah. founding member of lies.com.net.org.uk <laughs> not buying what you're selling not picking up what you're putting down you are a longtime resident of lying ass bitch town population wow, you i love this <laughs> pants on fire girl pants <gasps> on fire <laughs> okay kemi adeyula has just been red okay wow red for filth Woo. I love this. <laughs> her pants, her pants are on fire. Oh, yeah. Okay. We don't need, need no, no water. water. Let, let the motherfucker, motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker. Burn. <laughs> I like that. Um, man, that was that just, oh, my God. God, that was so beautiful. Mm. Uh, So anyway, back to the trial. As she had done before when she was first confronted about her writings, in court, Ariula again claimed that the 18-page handwritten murder manual was the draft of a crime thriller novel. She dismissed the manual as, quote, the scribblings of a 16-year-old girl, unquote. Ooh, because you're so mature now. (laughs) She said it was a work of fiction inspired by her fascination for crime writers, James Patterson and Martina Cole. She told the court, quote, I had always considered writing a book. I'd like to be an author. When I was in Bullwood Hall, I thought it would be a good place to start, unquote. Hmm. 
Okay. Henry Blacksland QC defending said, quote, the court has before it somebody who is on the face of it emotionally damaged. She finds herself utterly alone in the world, given that her family have entirely washed their hands of her, unquote. But on June 27, 2006, the jury found Adeula guilty of murdering Anne Mandel at her home in Golders Green in northwest London. She and her sister Sade, who believed that her older sister was innocent of the murder, were also convicted of one count each of perverting the course of justice. Speaking after the verdict, Detective Inspector Steve Morris of the Metropolitan Police described the case as, quote, a wicked premeditated murder committed by a callous, devious young woman and her cold, calculated use of extreme violence, beggars belief, unquote. <laughs> after the verdict, sources close to the murder inquiry said the teenager was born to kill a what? <laughs> supremely arrogant psychopath with total disregard for humanity. That sounds like uh, something in the Daily Mail for sure. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. That's a trashy magazine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> her father, Bola Adeola, disowned her, saying, quote, Nobody is born evil, but what she did was evil. She is no longer my daughter. I don't even like her. Wow. I will never see her again and don't want her anywhere near me. I regret the day I ever met her mother. When oh. I saw Mrs. Mandel's picture, I started crying. As a Christian, I can't believe anyone would do that. Unquote. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the reads for Cammy just keep coming. Yeah. One that one from her dad is spicy and harsh, but yeah. man. So he said that his daughter was a spoiled, cunning girl who he keeps going. Yeah. Spoiled, cunning girl who had been obsessed with money from an early age. He blamed his daughter's obsession with money and material goods on her mother. Quote, at first, I couldn't accept that somebody with my blood in her veins could do this to anyone. But then I saw the evidence. She should rot in hell. Unquote. Wow, dude, very harsh. Yeah, I mean, kind of, um, kind of get it because we all hate her too. Yeah. but uh, we're not related to her, and this is her father, and yeah. it kind of sounds like he was trying too hard to distance himself from her bad behavior. Right. Um, and this is this is from our writer Minnie. It seems like he's taking no responsibility for the effects of him leaving the family. Right. And uh, I mean, throwing money at a child is not the same as giving your heart and time and effort to raise them to be a contributing member, member of the community. Yeah. Hard to say though, if she has some kind of mental health issues, then maybe nothing he did would have helped her become a better person anyway. But uh, Minnie's feeling is he didn't really try that hard. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. agree. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more. Oh. He himself had served time in jail for cannabis smuggling and was once the subject of a BBC investigation into housing benefit fraud. The BBC? Um. A friend of the family said, quote, Kemi was born into a life of crime because of her father. He was convicted in 1989, one year after Kemi was born, for being the money man behind a big smuggling ring, unquote. So he's Whoa. not either. He forgot to tell yeah. us that yeah. part. So the friend went on to say that Adiula's parents had been living in a big house with expensive cars, but they lost everything after he was convicted. And Adiula's mother had been very bitter about it. He said, 
said that it resulted in the loss of any kind of innocent childhood or needed stability for Adeyula. Her father had rebuilt his fortune partly with rental fraud. <laughs> yeah. Is it really a fortune if it's yeah. built on fraud? After he served his time, but still refused to pay her school fees. Yeah, he's a piece of work, too. Yes. Adeyula says that she loved her mother. Quote, my mother always tried the best she could, unquote. But in a letter written in prison, she called her a, quote, useless swine, unquote. Not nice, oh. Adeyula. No, Not is nice. That, is, maybe it's some sort of code for I love you, mom. <laughs> I'll have to remember to use that. <laughs> Wendy, you useless swine. Oh, she's so sweet. It's just a code we use. It's no big deal. Adeyula was sentenced on June 28, 2006, with a recommendation that she serve at least 20 years behind bars. During sentencing, Judge Richard Hone said, quote, you are a remorseless and cold-blooded killer who is a danger to the public. I think you actually wanted to experience what it felt like to kill someone in cold blood, possibly so you could write about it, but more probably so you could boast about it and possibly even do it again. You are intelligent, manipulative, and skilled in deceit way beyond your years unquote wow yeah well burn. let's get into where are they now yeah, yeah. sick burn <laughs> <laughs> What do you got, Beth? After Anne's murder, Leonard Mandel moved to Israel to live with his daughter. He described Anne as someone, quote, whose life was taken up with kindness and giving up of herself to others. The unjust end she met, having so much taken away in such an undeserving manner, left us in total shock. Although nothing can bring Anne back to us, we sincerely hope that no one else will have to endure such a terrible experience, unquote. In 2016, Adiula, then 28, tried to have her sentence reduced, claiming that she made, quote, exceptional and unforeseen progress, unquote, during her time behind bars. But the judge, Mr. Justice Singh, said, quote, there's clearly a lot of work still to be done. It is clear that not only was the victim targeted, both for financial gain and in order to experience an act of killing, but the victim had previously been kind to this applicant, unquote. Yeah, yeah. Lawyers for Adayula said she had achieved all of her sentence planning targets well in advance of her sentence expiring and held a position of trust within the prison, including being trusted to work with vulnerable fellow inmates. They also argued that any noncompliance with the prison regime should be considered in light of her being diagnosed with possible Asperger's syndrome. Ooh, that's a twist. Yeah. Uh, so, however, a prison report, Mr. Justice Singh pointed to poor behavior in including deliberately stealing items from her peers and a long history of pushing boundaries. There was also evidence of prisoners being intimidated by her obsessive behavior towards them. And she has a history of abusing substances while in custody. Oh, Another report said that she had completed a number of treatment goals and started an open university course, but she had, quote, not conducted herself in a manner that would indicate an exceptional progression in custody, unquote. Kemi Adeola is now 35 years old and still incarcerated. She won't be eligible for parole until 2026. As an aside, quote, unquote, Mr. Justice is a form of address for a high court judge in the UK. Didn't know that. Mr. Justice 
Justice Singh is Sir Rabindir Singh, the son of Indian immigrants and a Sikh who wears a white turban on the bench, which I love. Do they still wear white wigs? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. But he wears a turban. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, So in 2017, he reached one of the highest ranks achieved by a non-white judge in Britain when he was promoted to the Court of Appeal. Fantastic. Very cool. So now we're going to get into our takeaways. What are your thoughts, Beth? Well, I will just say that I don't know exactly what caused Adeola to become this way, but that her parents did not help. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Her dad (laughs) is a piece of work. Yeah. He set an example of criminal behavior and was pretty much absent for her upbringing. Yeah. It sounds like her mom was a little flighty, but I don't know all the particulars, just that she burned through money and that she moved around a lot. So Mm -hmm. the children had no real place to call home and no real stability. And it's no wonder that Adeola acted out when she became a teenager. Um, But she did the most. (laughs) She sure did. Yeah. I know (laughs) she dragged her sister, Sade, into her crimes. But I I wonder how Sade's doing and how the other siblings are doing. That's a really good question. Yeah, I wonder the same. Speaking of which, this couple was only married for four years and produced three children during that time. So they had kids one right after the other, and then the dad took off. So uh, mom was left to raise all these babies by herself. And yeah. it's uh, no wonder she was bitter and might explain some of her flightiness. That's a that's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. I always yeah. say that raising kids is the hardest job on the planet. And here she was left with three babies to raise by herself. Oof. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, oof. <laughs> yes. Oof. <laughs> Ditto. Ditto. I agree. She did, in fact, do the most. Um, I was thinking about, remember when she was doing like the scams and bragging about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You're right. I, I feel like that had to, it maybe inherited from her dad in some yeah. way. This, this um, on, desire. On knee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This desire to sort of um, get, get into that life. Things, yeah. Um, cunning is, I think, an underrated trait, especially in people who identify as female. I think being cunning is admirable. Yeah. But this, it's it's the cunning bitch who's in the C-suite, right? Yeah. But another point is it's not unusual for teen teenagers or teenage girls to act out. Right. But she really did the most. Yeah, yeah. And I, in talking about this a little bit more, I wonder if she was a psychopath. Yeah, um, just I don't because know. of her lack of right. empathy right. and um, how, I mean, how she, was, she I, planned the murder, like uh, all the details. It was pretty cool. Yeah, like she was building a grocery list. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then when she was in in court, uh, just completely, I hate unfazed. how people say, "Yeah, un- unfazed." She, I mean, you're on trial for murder. Yeah, and she's like, <laughs> and la, la, she la, was, "I'm texting la, la, people." Yeah, look, look at my style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so I think I, I I I think there were also more signs of, of her being dangerous, the killing the goldfish, terrorizing the neighbors, yeah. putting poop on the windows. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, yeah, and uh, I know that hurt people hurt people, um, and, and that kind of thing doesn't just start with Kemi. So I right. do agree that there's you know some family there's history, more stuff mom going and dad. On, yeah. There's more to it, but. It, it she really did the most, which makes me think it might be, you know, her family history on top of something else going on that might rhyme with typopath. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I thought you were going to say acism. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, that said, I mean, if she is not a psychopath, there may have been an opportunity when she was acting out to sort of break the cycle of pain and trauma. Yeah. Um, but if she was a psychopath, then I don't know if there was any hope anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also rest in peace, Miss Anne. Yeah. That is just, she was such a nice lady. I know. I know. (laughs) Um, so, ah, that's all I got. So now let's get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) Don't poop on a plane with a diplomat. (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So I found a safety tip on Instagram. It is a doorstop alarm and we've shouted out doorstop alarms before, but this one is um, not not necessarily unusual, but it's really, it's different and it's super affordable. It stops the door from opening and has an alarm attached to it and it's portable. You can take it anywhere. Yeah. Um, I looked at it. I saw this in the doc and I, so I, I Googled it and looked at it and it's pretty cool. I I actually bought uh, some of those door stops before, but they didn't have alarms on them. So now I'm going to have to get one of these. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's yeah. And it's, it's portable. It can fit in your purse or in your backpack. If you're going to college or on a trip or who knows, but, uh, Oh, there's a red lock that also you can get that goes around the doorknob. And it definitely, I mean, it's not, um, uh, nothing's 100% safe or foolproof, but it definitely gives you time to get your gun and pepper spray or weapon or get the hell out. Yeah, whatever it is, whatever your plan is. Yeah, Whatever. So they're like $11.50 each. You can buy them in a multi-pack for multi-doors around your house. And we have a link that we will put in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. Now it's shout out time. We're going to shout out any content by or about people of color, any other marginalized folks. Um or any true crime goodies. Okay. And I, by the time this episode comes out, this movie will not be new, but Turning Red on Disney Plus. Yeah, I saw an uh, ad for that. Yeah, it looks cute. It is fucking amazing. It's the best movie I've ever seen oh in my, my whole God. life. Wow. It's about this half Chinese girl in Toronto, Canada. And Toronto is like this wildly diverse city, uh-huh. right? Um, and the representation is outstanding. It's about uh, just this young girl who sort of lives growing up living in two worlds. She's got her um, immigrant, um, you know, mom, and I think her white Canadian dad. And then she's also got this other world that she has to fit in at school with, um, you know, people who are different than her. And like I said, the representation is outstanding. Um, there's BIPOC representation. There's even a, a young person who appears to be gender nonconforming. Oh. I'm not 100% sure. But like I said, it's the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. Wow. There's even a Beyonce song in it. I watched it. My kids have seen it three times. And I I, I watched it and I was like crying. Aww. I was like so happy wow. to have watched this movie. It's so good. Wow. Um, 
Also, one thing from Kimberly Ann, who is a fruity of ours, there's a podcast called The Red Justice Project. Um, and it's about uh, how true crime media often ignores the plight of missing and murdered indigenous women. And uh, the these podcasters believe they can give families the dignity and respect that they deserve, even though they have not been given that from the media. So that is The Red Justice Project podcast. Cool. Thanks, Kimberly Ann. Yeah. What do you got, Beth? Well, I want to recommend uh, Worst Roommate Ever on Netflix. <laughs> okay, tell me more. I've heard um, some people say say some good things about it. Yeah, it features stories about roommates who uh-huh. are a little wacky. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, they have malevolent and sometimes violent intentions. And they turn oh. the lives of their unsuspecting victims into real-life nightmares. And wow. uh, all of the stories are fascinating. Um, but the last one is a doozy. It's it's nuts. Nuts? Yeah. Nuts. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. I'm going to go watch it as soon as we're done. Yeah. Okay. So that is Turning Red on Disney+, Plus, The Red Justice Project, wherever you get your podcasts, and Worst Roommate Ever on Netflix. Yeah. Well, we did it. We did. Uh, that's it for today. Where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. Well, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface, to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com
introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.